Exodus chapter 32 this morning. Exodus chapter 32. While you're turning there, we're uh, in the middle. In fact, we're just beginning, really. I can't even say in the middle. We're just beginning a new series on prayer that's going to last for several months. And we are looking at the significant prayers of the Bible from Old and New Testament. And uh, I believe that one of the ways we can learn about prayer is by studying the prayers of the Bible. And so last week we looked at Abraham's prayer. Today we're going to look at Moses' prayer. And none of these prayers, obviously, are going to teach us uh, everything, you know, in one, one message about prayer. None of these are comprehensive. But I think what you will find is if you hang in there and you follow all these messages through, that if you put all of them together, that you'll have a pretty good picture of, of what the Bible teaches about prayer and what God wants us to know about prayer. Because for many, even Christians, prayer... Uh, is a mystery, and there's a lot of misunderstanding, I think, when it comes to to the aspect of prayer, and yet it's supposed to be one of the most important uh, things that you and I engage in as believers in Jesus Christ. So uh, I think it's really important that we dive in and see what the Bible has to say about prayer. As I said, today we're going to look at Moses. And if I was to say to all of you, think about Moses and what the Bible taught about Moses and the story of Moses, I'm sure most of us would, would say, well, what would come to mind if you started to think and talk about Moses, that we would have a lot of things to say about Moses and some stories in the Bible that would stand out. But probably there'd be very few of us that would say, hey, when I think about Moses, I think about the chapter we're going to look at today. Probably not. And yet, can I tell you that from my perspective, I believe that this is Moses' finest moment. I, I think that if, you, if you're going to look at Moses in a good light, that, that this would be Moses' finest hour. And I think the, the cool thing is it's, it's in connection with his prayer life. It's, it's we see Moses in his finest when he's here engaged in seeking the Lord and appealing to the Lord for something. Now, as we've been progressing through this series on prayer, another thing we've learned is that prayer is not an independent exercise. It sort of stands alone. That there's always circumstances and things that lead up to it. There's a whole context, if you will, surrounding people's prayer lives. And, and our prayers. There's things that, that are built around it. There's things that fuel it. There's things that, that uh, inspire it. There's things in our lives that either, you know, pull us to prayer or keep us away from prayer. All, all those kind of things. But there's so much more than just the act of that single prayer going up to God. And again, nowhere I think is that more evident than what we're going to talk about today. We've got to remind ourselves of the context of this prayer of Moses to really get the full import and impact of what's happening here and, and what Moses is praying and the significance of it. So let's go back, if you will, to the beginning of chapter 32. 
And before we even pick it up there, I, I want to share these few words with you as well. Many people today would say, if God would just manifest himself in a more, you know, maybe a- aggressive way or, or in a more evident way, if God would just make himself known, if God would just let his glory fall, if God would just do, you know, more miracles today, that people would just, you know, we would believe more and, and, and you would find more faithfulness in God's people and more faithfulness in the church and, and you would see people coming to God in droves if God just did these things. Let's be reminded of the people we're talking about here today. They are the nation of Israel who after 400 years have been delivered by God, they saw with their own eyes all the plagues that God brought on Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. They saw all that. They saw the water turn to blood. They saw the gnats and the flies. They saw all that. They experienced it all. They saw the instruction of Moses given by the Lord to have their doorposts plastered with the blood of a lamb so that when the death angel came through Egypt, he would pass over their house. They saw all these people die. They were the same people that after they were released out of Egypt and finally given their freedom, they saw God manifested in a cloud and a pillar of fire. Then when they saw the Egyptian army and Pharaoh approaching them and their backs were to the Red Sea, they saw the Red Sea part right in front of them. And these very people were the ones who walked through the midst of that ocean on dry ground. They experienced all of that. And yet notice what we find in Exodus 32. Please follow along as I read. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, where he was meeting with God, They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Get up, make us gods that will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, the man who brought us up out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Break off the gold earrings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the gold earrings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He accepted the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool, made a molten calf. And then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. So they got up early on the next day and offered up burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to to drink and rose up to play.
the people who experienced all of this, notice how quickly they plunged into idolatry and forsook the living God and rebelled against Him. Folks, all these experiences and all the miracles that you and I or anyone else can experience, that doesn't necessarily build faith into our lives. Faith comes through believing the Word of God. And notice... We could spend a message on each of these individually. There's a couple things, I think, in play here. First of all, there's obviously we see a void of leadership in the nation of Israel. Because it's almost as if, because Moses isn't there, there's nobody left in Israel who stands up and goes, Whoa, wait a minute. This is wrong. I don't care whether Moses has been delayed or not. This is wrong. And, and do you love the fact that the people are asking for someone like Aaron to make them a god? What kind of god needs to be created by human hands? What kind of god is that? You need me to make you? And yet they're bowing down to these gods and even attributing to these gods that they've made that somehow they're the ones that sent them out of Egypt and not the one true God. So the next time maybe even you think or you hear someone else say, oh, if God would just manifest himself and do miracles and show his greatness and power and glory, if his glory would just fall, man, people would just believe. Take them to Exodus 32. These people experienced all of that. Think about it. Put yourself in that place. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And yet, a few weeks later, they're asking Aaron to make themselves other gods. This is the context that we find here in Exodus 32. And let's not forget, too, that this was just a couple weeks after Moses had instructed them. Here's what God says to us. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, do not make for yourself a carved image or likeness of anything in heaven above, on earth below, or in the sea beneath. First two commandments. They just heard them. And notice how quickly they plunge into idolatry and seek to make for themselves gods and idols. Though the people were ignoring God, God was not ignoring them. God knew exactly what was going on in the camp of Israel, even though he and Moses were having some one-on-one -on -one time up on the mountain. And so notice what the Lord says to Moses in verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses, 
Go quickly, descend, because your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. And notice something. God calls the people your people, Moses. They're not my people. They, I am disassociating myself with these people. They resemble me not in one, you know, bit. They, they don't, they're not familiar with me at all. They're not, they don't look like me at all. I, I don't even want to associate or be associated with them. Wow, how sad. All that God had done for these people. All the manifestations of his power and miracles and stuff. And they just kicked him to the curb that quickly. Notice God goes on to say in verse 8, they have quickly turned aside. The word quickly means hastily, carelessly. And I think in this, you even see it back in the beginning of chapter 32, when the Bible says, because Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, they got fidgety and, and, and said, oh, we, we got to do something. And another thing you see here, besides this void of leadership in the nation of Israel, like I said, you could spend a whole message on that, is the impatience of us as human beings and how our impatience gets us in trouble so often in life where we run ahead of God instead of waiting on him and waiting on his timing. These people couldn't wait for Moses just a little bit longer. They had waited 400 years in Egypt to be delivered. They couldn't wait an next day or two for Moses to come down to the mountain. No, they could not wait. And so in their haste and carelessness, God says they acted. And then he says, how quickly they turned aside from the way that I commanded them. The words turned aside mean to depart, to put aside, to lay aside. Again, it was this, eh, God, we're going to kick you to the side. I wonder in our lives how often we so quickly sort of push God and his way and his will to the side and just keep on going our way. Or we have our mind made up that this is the way I want to go. And, oh, well, God, I see that your word sort of contradicts that. But I'm going to brush it aside. I'm going to push it aside. And I'm going to continue to go down my path. That, that's the picture here that God is giving Moses of what's happened in the camp of Israel. We need to be careful, not careless, in that when God reveals his way and his word to us, that we do not push it aside. That is to our own peril every time that we do it. He goes on to say, They have made for themselves a molten calf and have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. Notice, God is informing Moses of every detail that's happened, even though he's up there on the mountain. He's God. He's omniscient. He knows what's going on at all times in each of our lives. And he knew exactly, as I said, even though the people had now ignored God, God wasn't ignoring them. He knew exactly what was going on in that camp. Notice now verse 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. 
Look what a stiff-necked people they are. The word stiff-necked means hard-hearted, stubborn, willful. Again, can we pause for a second? The Bible teaches us that the heart of men is deceitful above all things. The Bible teaches that human hearts can become hardened, calloused. And God is saying that that's one of the problems here. Is that these people, their hearts are hard. They're stubborn. They're willful. May we always seek to have a soft and sensitive heart. Because our heart can go one of two ways. We can allow our lives and the things about our life to take us in a trajectory where our heart stays pliable and soft and moldable to God. Or we can allow our heart to get very hardened and callous like the nation of Israel did. To where again, no matter what they experienced, no matter what miracles God did, no matter how God moved, no matter what God spoke to them, they were unmoved. They were cold. They could not be led. They were not teachable. And God says, here's the problem. This is the real root Of what's going on. So notice verse 10. God says to Moses. So now leave me alone. So that my anger can burn against them. And I can destroy them. And I will make from you a great nation. And can I say right up front. God would have been perfectly justified. In doing just that. He could have done what he did back in the book of Genesis where he just sort of took Noah and his family and just wiped everything out, started clean, and started all over again. If God would have chosen to do that, he would have been perfectly justified to do it. Now something that you and I don't get in our English translation that though is clear in the Hebrew is this. As God is having this great sort of one-on-one interaction and conversation with his servant Moses. He is saying these words. But he's saying them sort of in this way. If you leave me alone, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. In other words, the door is open that if Moses wants to sort of step up and step in to the situation, if that's what he wants... God will be open to listen to Moses about the situation. But Moses, if you leave me alone, this is going to be their fate. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them all out and we're going to start all over with you. Now think about that for a minute before we see the words of Moses here in his prayer. And why I say that this is the finest moment of Moses that's recorded in the Bible. Think about this. And even try to put yourself in Moses' place. These people have been nothing but a pain in the side of Moses since he's tried to lead them too. They've done nothing but gripe and complain and rebel against his authority and everything. So now think about it. God is telling you or as he would tell Moses, Moses, 
I think we should just get rid of them all and just let's start over with you. How would that appeal? You know what, God, that, that's a good idea. Let's just start over with me. As long as you're going to, you know, as long as you're going to keep me around. They, they've been nothing but a pain to me. Let's, let's get rid of all of them and let's start with me. I mean, think about it. Would Moses be willing to give up his own people as the price for his exaltation? That's what we're going to find out. Would Moses leave God alone? Would Moses like the fact that, you know what, God? That sounds like a pretty good plan to me. As long as you're going to keep me around and, and you're going to start rebuilding with me, well, that, that sounds pretty good. But listen to the prayer and the response of Moses. God says, verse 10, So now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them and I will make from you a great nation. But Moses. Now many times in the Bible, two of the most significant words in the Bible, if you read Genesis through Revelation, is but God. Those are two really important words. But I want you to see today the two very important words And not to exalt a man, but ultimately to exalt God, is when the Bible says, but Moses. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. And said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people? whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say for evil he led them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent of this evil against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and told them I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken about I will give to your descendants and they will inherit it forever. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Notice a couple things here. First of all, notice Moses refused to do nothing. Moses didn't have a fatalistic attitude like many believers do today. Well, God's going to do what God's going to do, so why pray about it? But Moses, Moses didn't leave God alone. And I think what the Bible's teaching us, neither should we. Neither should we. We should never be in a place in our life where we refuse to do nothing. Because we can always seek the favor of the Lord our God. And if you have come to a place in your life where you have come to a fatalistic mindset as far as how you look at God and the way of God in this world, I think again this passage would show us that's not biblical. 
In God's plan, there's flexibility. And God has options and situations open to him that he can go this way or that way and still fall within his sovereignty. And Moses understood that. That's why Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. And notice also that obviously implies a relationship here. Moses had walked with God. Moses knew God. Moses had interacted with God and talked with God many times up to this point. And that's what God wants to create in us. In fact, if you take nothing else away from this message today, I'd like you to take that phrase and that verse away with you. And I'd like you to insert your name into that verse. Instead of Moses, I would like you to put, but you sought the favor of the Lord, your God. And what does that mean for you? How does God want to use this message on prayer from the life of Moses and somehow stir you to seek his favor. Moses here could have left God alone, but Moses chose to step up and to appeal to his God for mercy rather than for justice. Again, God would have been perfectly just in doing what he told Moses he was about ready to do, but Moses appealed to God. Notice that Moses loses sight of himself entirely here. If Moses would have been about himself, he would have taken God up on his offer. You're right, God. Let's get rid of them all. Start with me. That's the best thing for me. And so again here, we have something else dynamic that the Bible talks about when it comes to prayer. And that is that, that you and I, our heart is never more revealed than it is when we pray. Or when we don't pray, even. That's when our hearts are revealed and laid bare. If Moses would have been selfish at this point and been about himself, he would have taken God up on his offer. But in his prayer and through the words that he says to God, he is revealing his selflessness. He's lost self here. In fact, his whole soul is engrossed with thoughts of the Lord's glory and the Lord's people, not himself. And that is revealed in what he's praying. Notice in his appeal to God, he mentions three things. First of all, he mentions, if you will, in verse 11, the grace of God. He says, look, Lord, these are your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. And the reason, in a sense, that Moses now is sort of gathering his people up and giving them back to God and saying, God, they're not mine, they're yours, is because Moses recognizes something here and has for quite a while. And that is that God, in his condescension as God, has wrapped up himself in these people. Their destiny is tied with God. And and God, in a sense, has now tied His reputation and who He is up with these people. 
think about that in terms of us. We're not the nation of Israel, but we're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God in His grace has wrapped up our destiny with Him. His name, His reputation is tied up with us. So how we go is how other people view Him. And that's why the church needs to become the church that it should be and it's called to be. Because that will show who God really is. And that's why our lives individually as Christians need to be lived in a way that brings honor and glory to Him because He's allowed it to be that way. His fame, His reputation is on the line with each of our lives who name the name of Christ. Our destiny is tied up with Him and forever will be. And that's what Moses was saying here to God. God, He's saying, look, I don't need to remind you of this, but let's talk about this for a minute. These people that are acting hard-hearted and willful and stubborn now, well, they were hard-hearted, willful, and stubborn back in Egypt. They just haven't changed. They're the same now as they were then. And you didn't save them out of Egypt because they all of a sudden became these wonderful people. You saved them in your grace. They didn't deserve to be delivered from Egypt, but you saved them anyway. And they're the same now as they were then. So remember your grace, God. Remember your grace. Then secondly, I think he says, God, remember your glory, verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say? Again, your reputation, your fame, who you are as God is tied up in how they turn out in their destiny. Don't let the Egyptians, Lord, look down on you. You've been elevated in the eyes of the Egyptians through what's happened. Don't let this rebellion of your people taint that glory in the Egyptians' eyes. And then I think he reminds God of his goodness in verse 13 when he talks about the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. When he says... I'm going to multiply and going to create a great nation. And again, God could have done that starting all over with Moses. None of those promises made to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would have been in jeopardy had God followed through and done what he told Moses he would do. But but Moses sought the favor of the Lord. Moses refused to do nothing. Moses did not have a fatalistic outlook on life that, well, that's what God's going to do. That's what God's going to do. Moses sought the favor of the Lord. He appealed to God, not for himself. There was nothing about self in this prayer from Moses to God. Again, it was all about the Lord's glory and the Lord's people. Moses totally lost self here. And that's why I think that this 
is Moses at his finest. Even more than parting the Red Sea with the staff of God and all the plagues and stuff that God did through Moses, this to me is Moses' highest point. Because everything about this would have appealed to that fallen nature and to self to say, you're right, God. Those people of yours are a pain in my side. Let's get rid of them. And just start over with me. But Moses didn't say that. And notice what happened in verse 14. Then the Lord, based upon the prayer of Moses, relented over the evil that he had said he would do to his people. Literally in the Hebrew, it says that God took a deep breath and paused. Again, using sort of human language to express how God was feeling. And you and I get that. It's like you get, you get mad, you get angry, you get frustrated. But when God heard the prayer of Moses cause God to take a deep breath and pause and say, okay, Moses, I won't do that. I won't start all over again with you. I'll keep going with these people here. You see, what this teaches us is again that not that God is flighty, fickle, that God just willy-nilly just changes from one thing to another going back and forth. What this teaches us is that within God's plan and within God's will, He has built in flexibility. And that there are options open to Him that do not contradict one another and do not contradict who he is as God. And what this teaches us is that God will respond to the prayers of his people. And sometimes when he's going down with this option, when he hears from his people, he's willing to consider another option that will fit into his will and plan. Just as he did with Moses. But in order for that to happen... God has to have a people like Moses who are willing to talk to him and not just say, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. But say, God, how about this? Would you be willing to consider this? Would you be willing to do The Bible says God is open and receptive to our prayers. Think about that. Again, God has, in His plan and in His world, created it in, in, a, in a way that, that He will listen to us and respond to us when we pray, if we pray, believing And the Bible tells us 
We have not many times because we ask not. Because God also designed within His will and His word for us to ask in order for Him to act. Because He doesn't want to force Himself into our lives when we don't want Him there. He won't push himself into a situation in which he's not invited. But if you and I will invite him in, he's willing to listen and to respond. And so today, based upon this great prayer, this selfless prayer of Moses, what is it that God may be speaking to you about today? And when you think of that phrase, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God, and you put your name in there, what does God want to draw you into prayer about today? But Jeff sought the favor of the Lord his God. Ref- to refuse to do nothing. Don't be fatalistic. Seek God. And He will respond. He will hear. He will listen. And never forget that within the framework of God, He's built in flexibility and options. What is it that God wants us to seek Him for today? Let's pray. Lord, I believe that you are speaking. Help us to listen as you speak. May we be willing to seek your favor, God. today. If there are those here, Lord, that specifically want to seek your favor about something today, I pray that they would be motivated and inspired to come. Talk to you, God, as we sing this last song, a song declaring we need you, God, and nowhere is that more evident 
in our lives as Christians than through our prayer life. So God, help your people to come before you today and seek your favor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.